nobody knows what you are. I was concerned about going out into the world and doing something bigger than myself until someone smarter than myself made me realize there is nothing bigger than myself. If you don't believe, nobody else is going to believe. To get something you never had, you have to do something you never did. Yes, 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 ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode from Inspire the paper trolls podcast um and today i'm with a, a special guest today her name is phoebe morgan she's an orphan editor she studied english at leeds U university after growing up in suffolk she has previously worked as a journalist and now edits crime and women's fiction at a publishing house during the day and writes her own books in the evenings her books have sold over 225,000 copies and have been translated into 10 languages including french italian norwegian polish and croatian Phoebe has also contributed uh, short stories to Afraid of the Light, a 2020 crime writing anthology with proceeds going to Samaritans, Noir from the Bar, a crime collection with proceeds going to the NHS, and Afraid of the Christmas Lights with all profits going to domestic abuse charities, which is amazing, to be fair. Um, but that's uh, obviously that's your, how you're, I guess, brought online. I wanted to ask, how would you describe yourself? And first of all, thank you for, for coming on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I would say, yes, it's an accurate description. Uh, my main job at the moment is a publisher. I work for a publishing house in London called Hodder and Stoughton. Um, so I work primarily on other people's crime and thriller novels during the day. And then I write my own books in the evenings and at the weekends. So I sort of juggle both careers uh, at the same time uh, which is fun it allows me to sort of see the writing and the publishing process from both sides which I think gives me quite a unique perspective on it yeah yeah is, is it tough to kind of balance that um, or how, how are you managing to find it it, so it can be at times with the writing process it goes through stages so there might be certain times of the year where I'm very busy and I'm working to a deadline for one of my next books or a several of my authors that I work with have delivered to me their manuscripts at the same time and then there might be periods where my book is back with my editor so I have a bit more space so I would say it sort of goes in cycles so it can be very busy and full-on but there can be fallow times as well and I think really, because I really enjoy both aspects of the career, it doesn't feel too challenging. It feels it feels quite enjoyable. I can imagine, especially if you're like a writer and you're not only writing, but you're also in the world where books are being brought out. That's like loving chocolate and being in a chocolate factory. <laughs> so it feels like... It's yeah, I'm surrounded by books all the time. So I'm in the office at the moment and there's books everywhere and they're just such a big part of my life and I suppose I always grew up really loving novels, so it's a privilege to get to work in them. Yeah, no, of course. And I wanted to touch up on that, like your aspect of kind of growing up. Um was it were you essentially a big reader from young? And do you have like a specific book or it might not be, but a specific book that kind of brought you into like reading and I guess loving it? Yeah, so when I was growing up, we did not have a television. So my okay. was a big advocate for reading. Our house was very much full of books and she was a teacher. So she taught me to read quite early before I could reach, before I was even at school. Um, so I think that was a big advantage. And I spent most of my childhood reading. I always loved going to the library. It was always a big part of my life. I'm not sure if there's a specific book that stands out. I think I usually liked 
the classics. So I loved Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton. I loved Jacqueline Wilson, sort of all those novels that were big in Britain at the time. And I think going to the library was really important for me because there was like a small library really near my house. So I would go there quite a lot and I didn't, we didn't have tons of money growing up. So I really relied on that as a resource, um, which is why I think it's so sad that at the moment, a lot of libraries are closing down um, in 2023. So I really think we should do as much as we can to preserve those because I think they're such a lifeline for a lot of younger people, particularly and, and older people and people of all ages. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it was always, it was always a big part. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to say, would you say that even now, like how technology is moving with a lot of it going online, EPUBs and all of this kind of thing, that it's kind of, um, I guess, making the necessity of having a place that actually stores physical books less and less important? Because um, I feel like a lot of people would find it easier to, because now it's, it's, it's in a way, for example, like in your case of growing up without a TV, that need for escapism um, or that creativity and the love of stories would all be nestled in the library where it's like full of all sorts of books that you can read. But now when it's kind of like, not even just on TV, but in your fingertips at in a small phone that you can read, you can watch, you can, all this stuff here, is it, it's kind of crazy how it would make, I guess, libraries less and less needed. Or do you still feel like, a physical place is always going to be needed. I still think a physical place is always needed because libraries are also a refuge for people a lot of the time if you want to get out of the house or if you want somewhere to go after school. Um, and I do think they give people access in a different way. And obviously they're free, you know, to an extent. And, and I think, you know, there are all these other forms of entertainment now, which is great because it means like more stories get out into the world via podcasts and Netflix and ebooks, but those all cost money. So I think libraries are still good for those who maybe haven't got access to those kind of kinds of technology. But really, I think there's a space for everything. And like part of my job in publishing is to think about the way books compete for a reader's attention in the same way that you might choose to watch a crime drama instead of read one of our books. And so it's like, how do we make a person want to read one of our books or one of my books instead of just watching the latest drama on ITV? So it's it's thinking about like all the different forms of entertainment now and thinking about how they can work together, I suppose. Great point, to be fair. Um, understanding it from the publisher's perspective that they're actually trying to, I guess, compete for that. Um, how do you say that a, a book could compete on a level of, let's say, a drama that's shown on Netflix? Well, I think it's it can be hard because people don't have the attention spans that they used to have. People are also on social media all the time. But I do still think, for example, like in the pandemic, when it was really bad, the, the book sales went really went up. You know, people were turning back to literature and classic literature because they found it more comforting. Um, and I think there's a sort of promise that you can make between a reader and a writer. So if there's an author that you particularly love, for example, you might come back and back to their books to get reassurance or comfort or whatever it is you get. And so I think there's that kind of loyalty that maybe doesn't exist in the world of television and Netflix in the same way. Um, so I think it's crazy in that world. Sorry, carry on. No, I was saying it's crazy because in that world, it's kind of like you might see a Netflix, like, I don't know, documentary or a movie, and it might be like the best thing that you ever saw. Then you're like, now I want to see the best thing I've ever seen next week as well. So it's like this 
you see it, then you just drop it, and then it's like straight to the to the next one. But I kind of like how you said that with the with a book, it's kind of more of a connection to to the writer as well. Yeah, I think I think that's true, and I think more and more social media allows writers to interact directly with readers. So a lot of people will you know find their favorite authors on Twitter and speak to them and that's quite nice and having that relationship is is a good thing also back on the Netflix point we have quite a lot of writers now that were also screenwriters so people that have worked in TV that then want to write novels and often their crime novels in particular can be very strong because they're very good at pacing and they sort of understand the beats of a crime drama and how that would translate to a novel so I do think there's sort of shared knowledge that can run between those two strands of entertainment and it's just finding ways for them to coexist without cannibalizing each other. Yeah, even the other way around, like um, authors that then move it onto screen, screenplay as well, and then translating their books on the other side. Now, I wanted to kind of touch up on a bit more about you as well, because obviously the book that we'll be sort of talking about today is a thriller book. Um, it's called The Girl Next Door. It was an amazing book, I must say. Um, as I told you before, it was like the first time that I've actually read a proper, I would say, thriller, like, crime book. Um, because I always thought that there would be just, like, jump scares. Um, and I was always like, okay, so how would this translate in a book where you can't really do a jump scare? You can't just write boo, and then it has that same effect that a, a movie would. So it was kind of, so as I was reading it, the more and more I kind of understood, okay, wow, this it's a whole different style of writing that I'll say is very challenging in the sense that it's like you have to build the scene and the set like any other book, but then you have to layer it with um, uncertainty. You have to layer it with like doubt. You have to layer with all these other like different elements to build that suspense for the for the writer. Um, and I was just thinking, wow, this is tough. So I wanted to know, like, how comes you kind of got into the the thriller realm or, or genre of uh, book writing? And was it something you liked as a kid? So not so much as a child, no. I didn't used to really read thrillers or anything particularly scary. But as I grew up, and I think really after university, I started to read a lot more crime fiction. Um, and then when I started writing, it was sort of what I was quite naturally drawn to. Uh, I do think creating tension, as you say, in a thriller can be quite hard. And the way the process works is I work with an editor as well who will go through my text and point out areas where there potentially needs to be more tension or we need to ramp the suspense up a bit. So often with a novel, you go through, you know, a couple of different drafts and rounds of edits so that by the time you get to the finished process, you've added in as much tension as you can and you've like worked out where the points are, where you want a reader to be guessing what's happened or wanting the reader to be trying to predict the ending. Um, so it's definitely a process and I always think of it as you do one draft and then you sort of add layers and layers on top of it. Um, so yeah, it's not always that straightforward, but um, you know, it's always really nice to hear from readers and if they've enjoyed it, that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, and as... and from the writing to the sort of publisher side of it um what makes a good like sort of thriller book for you like what sort of ingredients would be needed that you'd be like okay this has got the makings of a good thriller book 
Yeah, it's a really good question. And I get asked it quite a lot by writers and agents, etc. And I think the main thing in the area that I work in, which is quite commercial fiction, so usually fiction that will sell to what we call the mass market. So we're trying to sell quite a lot of copies. Um, we need like a very good concept. So we need something that feels like a one line pitch or an elevator pitch, they call it, which essentially means that you can sum up the book's premise in one line. So that feels quite important. It's important to have that really strong sense of voice, which is very hard to teach. And to be honest, it's something that you only really recognize when you come across it. So the way my day job works is that I get sent manuscripts from literary agents and I start reading them and decide whether to publish them or not. And you can usually tell quite quickly if the voice is there and if the voice feels original enough and you feel as though the author knows what they're doing um, so I think a really strong voice uh, a good concept sometimes a really strong sense of place is quite important um, which helps give the book that sense of identity and I think the pacing is really important as well in a crime crime novel yeah as in the location yeah 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 because yeah. I think um, the location of your book uh, so before we get into the book I just wanted to know I just wanted to ask you if you could I guess describe your book in one sentence or would that be a bit hard <laughs> uh, well I should be able to so <clears throat> so the girl next door is my second book and I actually wrote it a few years ago now so it's slightly moved out of my recollection but it's essentially about what happens when a 16 year old girl is found murdered in a small village in Essex and her parents become suspects so that's a sort of one-line pitch and yeah it's set in a village called Ashton which is actually where I used to live when I was very little uh, which is this sort of picture-perfect village in Essex and one day Claire who is this sort of blonde 16-year-old schoolgirl, is found dead in a field at the back of the village called the Buttercup Fields and she's discovered and then the village sort of goes into turmoil because the police descend, the media descend, nobody knows what happened and everybody starts to suspect everybody within the village um, and then the, the story sort of hones in on her family, on her brother and her parents who we learn have quite a tumultuous marriage. So it's really about small towns and secrets and the way that we treat a family when a girl goes missing and the fact that we can never really know the people that we live with. Around, yeah because I, I was going to say like in terms of the place as well like it had that very picturesque kind of feel but it had a very like small town kind of feel where everyone knows everyone it's like a community that everyone is around and it was the I think the kind of thing that built the suspension for me was the fact that because of such a small town where everyone knows everyone yet there could be a murder that happens literally next door and that means now in this like sort of picture perfect looking area there's someone walking at large that could kill someone that has killed someone and it's um i wouldn't say it wasn't even like a the classic like whodunit kind of book it was kind of like oh wow so this i kind of bursted a bubble um especially when it's like oh, just normal mums that have pta meetings and like just a, literally a small town and then but in the middle of all of that like a heinous crime has happened and it's not even just like uh, it's like the the Claire girl that died the teenager like had her head like bashed in and like it was like a proper like horrible death I must say. 
Yeah, it's meant to be quite quite brutal and make the reader think about the fact that this could happen anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like it's it's it was crazy because I was also like I think what also added to it was something I saw on the news recently, to be fair, which was um there was just the the scale of feature, like twenty like uni students, she was just come back home from work and then she was like pretty much murdered in the middle of the night um by her ex-boyfriend and who came from Wales all the way to London just to like you know find her and I was just thinking back to to the book as well it's kind of like you touched up on this like you don't really know who you're living around which is the <laughs> like it's, it's a kind of like scary aspect to think about because in that town you would never expect anything to happen and everyone says this is a town where this wouldn't happen but yeah it has by the hands of someone that lives among them yeah Actually, it's meant to be like you said a very like picture perfect place where the mums all know each other and the kids all go to the same school and the fathers are sort of pillars of the community and they have very respectable jobs and so it's sort of meant to unpick the surface of that and work out what happens underneath that so yeah as you say I wanted it to feel relatable as though anybody could imagine it happening because I think in crime especially the most effective books are novels where you can put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters and you can imagine this happening like in your street or where you live or in your house and then it makes the emotions feel much more real and even your writing style of it and i'll even say the the beats and the, the pace of it was so like well done that i could put myself in like nothing seemed just sudden and out of the ordinary and just like random acts happening all over the place like it was done so well that I was like oh my word so this place isn't what we think it is this is actually a dangerous place to live um yeah oh well thank you I'm glad that you liked it no 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 honestly it was a great book and um I recommend everyone to to pick it up the girl next door but I wanted to say again on the beats because I've also like dabbled in writing but I've never had the courage i guess to even give it out to, to for it to be published um but one thing that i've realized is that the pacing can be so hard um in terms of because you kind of like for me personally i just want to get straight into the fun and the action but you also have to build up the scene the location who lives there what how the town usually functions so you can build the premise for whenever things start happening and um I was going to ask you, how was it for you writing the pace of the book? Because obviously it starts off with there is a murder and that trails down, but then you kind of go into building the location, the set and the characters really well. And did you have that temptation to just go straight to it or were you kind of really patient with the build-up? Well, I think that comes back to what I was saying about writers having to do multiple drafts sometimes. So I think... And often prologues can work quite well for that reason. So you can have a prologue which maybe gives you a snapshot of the main point of the thriller. So, for example, like the finding of Claire's body. And then you can sort of spool backwards and, and sort of work backwards through the day. So it goes through the day that she died. And that's quite a good way to introduce tension because you can sort of hook the reader in with something quite dramatic and then go backwards and sort of build the world that way um and again I think when I work with the authors that I I publish at Hodder I often have to tell them to start their book in a different position because sometimes they start it 
sort of too early or too late and it's about finding that moment where you can really bring the reader in um, and then building the world around that so I think it's really important to always think back to like what is your concept and what is the thing that's gonna intrigue the reader the most because if you think about the way people buy books they either pick them up in bookstores and just flick through the first few pages or they might look on Amazon and use the look inside function but essentially they they're dealing with a lot of choice as we said at the beginning of the podcast and so it's important to to get their attention straight away um and I think we get sent like a lot of manuscripts as I said and and some of them will open with something that's basically just too boring like they'll talk about being stuck in a traffic jam or the weather and it seems quite crucial to start with something that feels interesting and that's going to serve your plot and that doesn't always have to be like right bang in the middle of the action like a James Bond film but it does have to be something that is going to go on to be like a relevant part of the novel I would say and if you want to write you should write you should give it a go if it's something you're interested in no yeah um, I am I am really interested like I said it's, it's a lot of it is like because I've had the first chapter just restarted so many times um, because of I guess finding the right sort of I guess position to start off because I do kind of want to sort of build the world but in a way not drag it out too long that someone that doesn't really care about it would be like okay cool like you said essentially people read it like the first few pages and then they're like okay I'm not really for this one this isn't really for me so it's kind of just you know it's like that first chapter um and I feel like asking you the ideal way to start a chapter is too broad but if you could sort of just say a few points on what would be a good way to start that would be really helpful yeah so I think the main piece of advice I would give is for people to read a lot so if you read a lot of other authors in the area that you want to write so for example if you want to write a crime novel have a look at who the top bestsellers are have a look at who is on the Sunday Times list or the Kindle charts and just have a read of their work to see what they're doing right um I would say there's a writer called Liz Nugent, who's an Irish crime writer that I really like. And she, her first lines are always excellent. So even from the first line, she intrigues you. And I think the trick is really just nailing the first line. And then all you want to do each time is get the reader to move from line one to line two and line two to the end of the page and then the end of the chapter. And so it's sort of setting up potentially like what, who's your central character? What is the beginning of your central question? And it's trying not to like overload the reader, but it is about dropping enough hints that it makes them want to read on. And I would say ending a chapter on the right note is important as well. So you could end chapter one on a bit of a cliffhanger or a question so that the reader is basically forced to move on to chapter two. And so it's a bit of a game really as to just keeping the reader moving through. But I think the more you read, yeah, and I think the more you read, the the more you'll be, you'll be able to tell what that really means in terms of pacing uh so yeah I would really recommend that anyone that wants to write needs to be a big reader first of course and I wanted to ask you also like it's especially on the last part as well being a reader how did it feel for you when you went from that moment of being a reader to actually having your book published and now like other people are reading your you went from like the reader to the author how was that little journey and that transition like for you? Yeah, so I suppose for me, 
I, my first book was published in 2017, so quite a while ago now, uh, which was a book called The Dollhouse, which was published by HarperCollins. And as I said, I've had four since then, and I have one more next year. Uh, and I think, to be honest, I've kind of got used to it, which is something I never thought I would say, because before I got published, I really wanted to be published, and it was a dream of mine. So I feel very lucky that it's come true. But before I got published, I did deal with quite a lot of rejection, which I think is really important to say because it's very common in the writing process. So I sent the book to lots of agents who didn't want to represent it. And then when I did get an agent, she sent it to lots of publishers that didn't want to publish it. And so there are these sort of two major hoops that you have to get through. And then after that, there's even more hoops that appear. But essentially getting a literary agent and then getting a publisher are the two big ones. And so there was a long period of time before I was published where I was sort of hoping to be and I was, you know, submitting to lots of agents and I was reading all these blogs about being rejected. And, and you know, I, I really empathise with anyone in that position. But the main thing is to sort of keep going and be persistent. And when I did get published, it was, you know, it was great. It, it was really lovely to feel that, that my work was reaching readers. And I still get lots of messages on social media from, from readers that have enjoyed the books. And I get asked to do things like this. So it's always really lovely. And I hope that I can just continue to write and reach more readers as I go on. Yeah, no, and I hope you do as well, because your writing style is amazing. Um, I want to say, because I spoke with an author before as well, and she said that on her second book, she had the she called it second book syndrome. Um, and uh, I wanted to kind of know if you had that as well, where the first book was kind of done, that relief of actually getting published was, you know, you've gone over that hurdle. Now it's like, okay, another book is expected. How did that feel? Yeah, I think that is a thing. And I've heard that from other people too. I remember with my second book, the edits were quite hard. So I went back and forth with my editor a few times. And did feel, yeah it did feel harder because I think book one you're usually writing in a vacuum so you're usually not in a contract and you just want to get published and that's all you can think about and then when you have your second book you are in a different position because yeah you might be already in a contract or you might be you know already you know contracted to a publisher and so there's more of a time pressure and also more of a pressure because you know that there are readers out there that are sort of keen to read your book which is a really nice position but also it's more pressurizing so yeah I think the second one second book syndrome probably is a little bit of a thing um but I've sort of pushed through it now and now I'm on book five so yeah every book is different and there's always hard bits and easy bits yeah of course and do you sort of feel like the, when you're writing a book at a certain point you're like okay <clears throat> let me not overthink it let me not second guess myself and let me just make sure you know I just put it out without having to overlook it overthink it obviously that's what you have editors for as well to kind of help you through that but a lot of it is it just kind of you going okay this is what I've done let me just push it out there yeah I think definitely with the first draft so a book is usually about 80,000 words for commercial crime so it varies from between about 80 and 100,000 words and I think with a first draft I don't really plot very much I just sit down and I start writing and I usually have the gem of an idea or I have a scene in my mind or some characters in my mind um, and then I force myself to start writing and then you get to like 20,000 30,000 and you feel like it's going well and then you sort of like hit a wall and then it's a hard bit and then you get to like 60,000 and it gets better so like it's like anything it's like running a marathon. What do you usually like do once you hit that wall? <sighs> um, it's hard. Um, 
I think sometimes I have like a little break from it and I just put it down for a bit other times I just really force myself to keep writing and just write anything like even if it's only 200 words or 500 words just keep going sometimes if there's a particular bit where I feel stuck I might skip a few chapters and start writing a bit towards the end or if there's a scene that I do know how to write I might write that scene instead and I don't think you always have to write in a linear way if you're writing a novel I think it's fine to jump around and then piece it together at the end yeah because I I, because even like um like going back to sort of the thriller the thriller writing aspect of it it's like the, re- the other reason why I found it difficult and I was kind of asking about if you did hit a wall because it was because like when you're writing it and you're trying to make sure no one is following the scent of the person that you don't want them to guess that it is and then just kind of giving little breadcrumbs to like okay it could be him it could be her it could be this guy so it's like how do you manage to in a thriller aspect keep people off the trail of the main villain and is that something quite difficult to do? It can be. And I think that's why you have to have multiple drafts. And I think it's good to show it to a couple of people before it goes anywhere else. So get them to see, you know, ask people that you feel comfortable around to read it and see if they guess who the killer is. Uh, and it's important, I think, to have more than one suspect in a crime novel. So I think if you've only got one person, it it makes it too obvious for the reader. So I think it's important that you introduce suspicion around more than one character. Essentially, that's the best way of doing it. No, of course. And that's, like I said, I can't really talk about more in depth as to who I thought it was and all of this stuff here, because just in case it is a spoiler, and I want everyone to basically read it and to find out who it is essentially for, for themselves. Um, because a lot of the time, sometimes you even forget about the the killer in a way you kind of think more about the world that you've built and kind of how wild it is and um how almost sadistic uh the people around there are and how selfish they are and how um and you're kind of more sometimes you're more focused onto that like oh wow what what these people don't really even like each other yet they have to be around each other and all of this kind of stuff and I was wondering did you get a lot of those inspirations from your from like your daily life and things you've seen or um no there's nobody nobody as bad in my life um but I think you know, like I think if you're a writer, you always observe things. So I always write little notes in my phone if I see things that feel interesting. Uh, so little descriptions like that that I sometimes draw on. And like I said, Ashton is a real, a real place. So I think I did. I based some of the village like there really are these beautiful buttercup fields at the back of the village um which in the spring and the summer they're just like full of these beautiful yellow flowers and so I was trying to think of what would be a horrible juxtaposition with those flowers would be a dead body in the middle of them so I think there are definitely parts of from real life that you do draw on um and yeah I think the main thing is if you want to be a writer it's just being open and being able to observe the world around you and taking inspiration where you can so I just wanted to um kind of asked to sort of also wrap it up um what you've got coming up and is there a second part to this book because I feel like it was kind of left in a way that I I want some some justice (laughs) (laughs) so no I kind of like to leave my books a little bit open-ended which I know not everybody likes not all of my Amazon reviews are positive but I like to think that these characters sort of become real to the reader and that they that they you know 
go on to sort of exist in the reader's head and the reader can can I mean I like to tie things up to an extent but I like there to be a couple of loose threads that the reader can then imagine um in terms of another book there's not going to be a follow-up to the girl next door but I do have another novel coming out in 2024 uh it will be out next summer it's called The Trip and it's about uh four friends who go on holiday to Thailand only to find that someone from their past has caught up with them so it's a thriller uh I think it's really fun it's definitely a summer read it's very much a holiday read it's set on the beaches and the city in Bangkok and in Thailand on the islands and it's about friendship and most of my books have been about families but this one is much more about friendship and couples uh so that's out with harper collins in july 2024 um so i'm excited about that no i'm excited to to, to hear it i mean to listen to it um and obviously i'm very thankful for you to come on and to to give us your time um i know you're a very very busy person um, no, it's my pleasure thank you for, for having me no no you've been amazing you've dropped some incredible gems as well that even me as a writer and you know, hopefully one day authors well could take away from and a lot of our listeners can as well. So I want to thank you very much for coming on and saying that. Great, no problem. But yeah, so like I said, thank you very much for, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. And uh I hope to have you on again for, for your next for your next book. Thank you, yeah, of course. Do you think you could put my social media links in the in the bottom of your podcast? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, every, all, everything is going there, even the, the link to the book that I read. So you're all good. You're all sorted. Thank you very much. It was lovely to talk to you. I hope you do continue your writing. Yeah, I will do now after hearing you. Good. That's okay. Time. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Paper Trolls podcast. If you like this episode, please leave a review, comment, like, and subscribe. And be sure to follow us on all our socials. Keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. See you at work.